When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, friends, to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, Alicia here. Thank you for joining us for today's tale of marital misadventure. This one's going to rock you straight out of old Hollywood. See what I did on all of that? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Today we have dreamy sex symbol and heartthrob, Rock Hudson. With one trashy divorce under his belt, perhaps as the sexual orientation for both parts of that couple really didn't line up. Sure. Also, just any kind of fake marriage, if both parties are not fully on board, may not work out. Big tip from trashy divorces, (laughs) fake marriages typically aren't that long lasting. But that is not all this story contains. It has... Beverly Hills homes and so many spider webs and sleazy PR people. Oh, extremely sleazy. And a testament to true friendship as well. Speaking of true friendship. Before we begin today's episode, we have a few trash pandas to thank here with names I see in the magic mirror. We have to give some big shout outs to our most recent supporters over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Stacy, Stacy, I think the names are coming up for you. Absolutely. Huge thanks to Marissa K, Kathy M, Amy W, Tanya W, QB2U, Erica R, Amy, Abby, Elise D, and Austin. Thank you, thank you, thank you, one and all for lending your support to our trashy endeavors. We really, really appreciate you. I have one more name in the magic mirror, and that is Christina G. For the most delicious Mm -hmm. little holiday treat. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. We are utterly spoiled by all of you trash pandas in the world. You're simply amazing. Thanks for coming today. I can think of no other reason for delay. Are you ready to rock? Let's go, go, go. Alicia, you have a classic Hollywood heartthrob with a twist for us this week, huh? A little bit today. Friends, we know that Rock Hudson was one of the biggest stars Hollywood ever saw. He was the ultimate heartthrob of the 1950s and 1960s. Rock Hudson, close your eyes, visualize it. Strong jawline, thick head of hair, his strapping six foot four stature. Rock Hudson was the epitome of the all-American man. The HBO documentary Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed, describes the actor this way. Not only did women say, that's the man I want to marry, but men said, that's the man I'd like to be. Rock Hudson did not start out as Rock Hudson in Hollywood. He came as Roy Fitzgerald. And his agent knew that that name was never going to work. So that agent gave... Roy, a new name, which is Rock. The inspiration actually came from a couple of big pieces of the natural world that were both massive and breathtaking. Rock Hudson's name was created from fusing the Rock of Gibraltar and the Hudson River. It is interesting that Americans were just like, "Mm, yeah, his first name is probably Rock. My kids, first. Yeah, anyway. Rock of Gibraltar, Hudson River, Abracadabra. That's how the world gets. Yeah, a star is born. Rock Hudson. His agent and Universal Studios set about taking this handsome, quiet, charming young man and turning him into an icon. And no doubt, Rock Hudson, charismatic, photogenic, and although he wasn't really a natural actor, he was a very quick study. In his career, Rock Hudson will make almost 70 movies in addition to several television shows he was in. This story really is a little bit of Hollywood who's who, trashy divorces adjacent stuff. Back in the early 50s, Rock 
adds some parts, but doesn't become a full-fledged star until 1954 in a little film called Magnificent Obsession with Jane Wyman, the very first wife of President Ronald Reagan. Mm, Right. Rock's career only skyrocketed from there. In 1957, he received an Oscar nomination for the film Giant, co-starring She of the Violet Eyes herself, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Taylor, and James James Dean. Dean. Mm -hmm. In 1959, Rock solidified himself as a romantic leading man when he starred in Pillow Talk with Doris Day. (laughs) Still to come in my Trashy Divorces arc. She's on the list. This role was iconic because Rock Hudson is playing a straight man pretending to be gay in Pillow Talk. In 1961, Rock and Doris do return for an even more popular quote-unquote sex comedy uh, (laughs) called Lover Come Back. They will reunite Rock and Doris one more time in 1964 for a film called Send Me No Flowers. In Rock's later career, he was mostly known for his long-running television show, Macmillan and Wife. This ran from 1971 to 1977 and also starred Susan St. James. Rock Hudson, most assuredly Hollywood royalty. He was one of the most desirable leading men in Hollywood. Rock Hudson also had a secret. Most of the world had no idea that Rock Hudson was actually forced to hide that he was gay. Mm -hmm. At that time in Hollywood, if the truth had come out about his sexual orientation, it would have completely ended his career. Yeah, it's funny he was willing to do pillow talk, given how sort of on the nose that would have been. Hmm. Rock's adopted sister, Alice Weyer, summed up this sort of difficulty that Rock had basically trying to live two lives. Quote, think about it. He had his family, he had his professional life, and he had his private life. And he had to portray a different person in each of those realms, trying to please everyone but himself. He was a great performer, not only in acting, but throughout his entire life. Now, Rock Hudson's friends, and pretty much all of Hollywood, knows Rock Hudson's gay. Sure. But America would not learn of it until Rock Hudson was diagnosed with AIDS in 1984. When Rock Hudson announced that he had AIDS in July of 1985, he was the first major celebrity to go public with the diagnosis. AIDS in 1985 was new, widely misunderstood, highly stigmatized. Rock's tragic death does lead to this overwhelming outpouring of support from his friends in the entertainment industry and also gives the general public a far greater awareness of AIDS. After Rock Hudson announces his diagnosis, AIDS hotlines all across America started getting phone calls. Some people wanting to offer donations, some people looking for information. Just weeks before his death in October 1985, one of his best friends, Elizabeth Taylor, who was an outspoken AIDS advocate herself, organized the Commitment to Life fundraiser. Rock Hudson was too sick to attend, but another friend, Burt Lancaster, read a statement that Rock had prepared, which said, I am not happy that I have AIDS, but if that is helping others... I can at least know that my own misfortune has had some positive worth. Yeah, just a terrible time to uh, be the face of HIV AIDS. Well, and some of the most widely recognized AIDS researchers during those years have absolutely acknowledged Rock Hudson's contribution towards changing public opinion about the disease, Michael Gottlieb, the immunologist that was the first to identify AIDS and one of Rock Hudson's doctors said about him, he was, quote, the most pivotal person in the history of the AIDS epidemic, the single most influential patient ever, unquote. Yeah, I believe it. It was huge news. I was a kid, but I mean, like my parents actually had to explain to me who Rock Hudson was. Certainly. But yeah, it was huge news. 
So that was a heck of a summary to get us started. Let's go ahead and start dissecting some of these facets and angles of Rock Hudson's life. Roy Harold Shearer Jr. was born November 17, 1925 in Winnetka, Illinois. Roy's parents were Catherine, that's Mama, she's a telephone operator. Daddy, Roy Sr., works as a mechanic. Little Roy, Roy Jr., born in 1925. In 1931, post-depression, Roy Sr. skips town, Mm. abandons the family, kid and mom during the Great Depression. Not the first or the last time we will see this particular phenomenon. Roy Jr. and his mother become very close after that. They really rely on each other. Rock Hudson will tell his biographer, Mark Griffin, about Catherine, his mother. She was mother, father, and big sister to me. And I was son and brother to her. When little Roy Jr. was eight years old, his mother got remarried to a man named Wallace Fitzgerald, Wally. Wally would adopt Roy Jr. And at this point, Roy Jr. changes his last name from Shearer to Fitzgerald, which is how we get Roy Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Wally Fitzgerald was abusive not only to mom, but also to young boy. When it came to Rock Hudson, Wally would chastise and abuse Roy when he showed any interest in anything that Wally felt was the slightest bit outside of the norm masculine behavior or interests. Must have been fun growing up in that household. Terrible, right? Like, gosh, Roy knew, though, not to mention anything about his secret hidden desire to become an actor. Rock Hudson will later tell an interviewer, Back in a small town, I could never freely say, I'm going to be an actor when I grow up because that's just sissy stuff. You know, don't bother with that. You ought to be a policeman or a fireman. So I never said anything. I just kept my mouth shut. But Little Roy Jr., like so many of our previous profiles, found an escape in going to the movies. And he would go to the theater whenever he had a chance. Little kid just awed by the stars like Humphrey Bogart and Bing Crosby and Cary Grant. And Roy Jr. wants to grow up to be just like them. After he graduates from high school in 1946... Roy will enlist in the Navy instead of going to college, training at the Great Lakes Naval Training Station as an aviation repairman, and then being stationed over to the Philippines. His naval duties took him to San Francisco, and when he was discharged, Roy decides to try his luck in Hollywood since he's already so darn close to Los Angeles. Sure. Now, remember Roy Sr. who skipped out during the Depression? Mm-hmm. He relocated to Los Angeles. Did he? Mm-hmm. So now son, Roy, is going to stay with dad for oh, a little while while doing odd jobs trying to find a way to kickstart this acting career. Once Rock Hudson's in Los Angeles, he hooks up with the brother of a Navy friend who was connected in the business and would introduce Rock to some key players And it was not long before he was on his way to becoming a movie star. That had to be an awkward reunion with dad, though. A little bit, right? Thanks for the place to stay while I become a Hollywood legend. This will make up for all those years. (laughs) We've got one next section to talk about how do we make it from Roy Fitzgerald to Rock Hudson. And this is because of a little person that I like to call the horrible Henry Wilson. It's terrible. Henry Wilson is a name that you had a little look on your face. Isn't recognized by many. But in the days of post-World War II Hollywood, Henry Wilson is a prominent and powerful figure. He's a talent agent. And his job as a talent agent, old Henry Wilson, is to take naive, handsome young men and turn them into stars. Henry also takes full advantage of these young men in terrible, terrible ways. Henry Wilson was known for coercing his clients to have sex with him, 
He was one of the original culprits of the infamous casting Mm. couch and its abuses of power. One way that Henry Wilson would scout for talent, this was his fun thing, was going into gay bars and looking for handsome young men in whom he saw star potential. Henry is widely considered to be responsible for the beef cake craze of the 1950s. He discovered and represented some of the most attractive young stars in Hollywood, including Tab Hunter, R.J. Robert Wagner, Rory Calhoun, Chad Everett, Yale Summers, Troy Donahue, Guy Madison, and of course, Rock Hudson. Henry, after rebranding these young men, would have them photographed, oiled up in swimsuits to promote their films. Within the Netflix 2020 series called Hollywood, Henry Wilson is a major character in this drama and is played by Jim Parsons. The show does a good job depicting how much Henry Wilson was responsible for the invention of Rock Hudson right down to his name. You can think of Henry Wilson almost like a real-life Henry Higgins who's grooming these aspiring actors with new names and enrolling them in acting classes and teaching them how to deepen their voices and do anything else necessary to make them stars. All of these favors, all of these lessons, all of these benefits were always in exchange for sex with Henry Wilson. It's fascinating that the big screen portrait of mid-century American masculinity was completely fabricated by a lecherous gay man. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Roddy McDowell, one of my favorites and a good friend of my man Dominic Dunn, also good friend, close friend of Rock Hudson's. Roddy McDowell says of Henry Wilson, (laughs) he was like the slime that oozed out from under a rock you did not want to turn over. Yikes. It gets worse. Ready? Quentin Tarantino's father. Tony was one of the men who claims Henry Wilson propositioned him during the 1960s. Tony Tarantino said that Henry Wilson offered him fame, a Cadillac, a new wardrobe, and a place to live in exchange for sexual favors. Tony Tarantino tells the New York Daily News, He says, you will treat me like your best girlfriend. I looked at him and said, I don't understand. He explained in detail what that meant. Hmm. He explained to me about oral sex. He explained to me about anal sex and made that very clear. Vanity Fair had an article, Hollywood, Inside Rock Hudson's Real-Life Relationship with Agent Henry Wilson. The author of that article, Julie Miller, writes, The 6'4 Hudson perfectly fit Wilson's template. He was handsome, naive, and had been abandoned by his father as a child with his mother going on to remarry a man Hudson hated. Seeing the potential in Hudson, Wilson was famous for saying, the acting can be added later. Wilson swiftly took him on as a client, reportedly bedded him, and rechristened him with his marquee-ready name. Actor Jim Parsons will also comment to Vanity Fair about Henry Wilson, saying, He felt that he knew what America wanted to see in a certain type of male star, and he made it his mission to make sure they all fit the general mold, including the names he came up with like Guy, Rock, and Tab. There was something very marketable about it. He saw them as commodities and things to be shaped and molded from his own personal factory. Rock Hudson was Henry Wilson's best invention, In order to make Roy Fitzgerald into Rock Hudson, Henry Wilson personally paid for him to have his teeth capped, for his apartment, a new wardrobe, and acting and singing lessons. Some of the flaws that Henry Wilson felt could not be changed, but he will, in fact, teach Rock Hudson how to minimize smiling and exposing less of his gums. He's a little too friendly, Rock Hudson. So he had a, a toothy smile. And that Gummy was, smile, yeah. That was too much. Smile less. <laughs> Again, though, it's that mid-century masculine. I'm super excited I get to bring up a little bit of Rock Hudson's biographer now. 
Robert Hoffler, mm. one of my favorite friends who also wrote an incredible biography on my man, Dominic Dunn. Robert Hoffler writes about Henry Wilson, coaching Rock to drop his, quote, effeminate mannerisms by slapping his wrists every time they went limp, hmm. smacking his hips every time they swayed, training him to sit and smoke in a more masculine fashion, and instructing him to speak in a lower voice. Hoffler continues, quote, The original queer eye for the straight guy, <laughs> Henry Wilson gave heterosexual men the necessary grace and social polish to shine in Hollywood's better executive suites, nightclubs, and Bel Air homes. He was equally effective at teaching gay men how to butch it up and pass for lovers of women on the big screen, unquote. Eventually, you'll be happy to know Henry Wilson's ways caught up with him. By the late 1960s, his reputation for manizing, Womanizing, yeah, manizing. Manizing, okay. uh, his fiscal mismanagement, and his alcohol abuse hmm. all led to his downfall, and Rock Hudson didn't stick around for the end either. Robert Hoffler writes about Henry Wilson. In his last years, in the business at least, were spent getting favors, like somebody giving him a producer credit so he could have a little bit of income. Then he became too ill from the years of drinking. Rock Hudson had been his best client, his bread and butter. But finally, at the very end, Rock Hudson escaped and went off on his own. Hmm. This doesn't make Henry Wilson too happy. He's really angry with Rock Hudson and thinks that Rock has betrayed him. Oh, sure. After I've built my entire career and your entire career. Yeah. Henry Wilson will lash out at Rock Hudson. Henry Wilson tells Rock Hudson... All you have going for you is your face. You don't have the talent. I have a jar of acid and I'm going to throw it in your face. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Henry Wilson's final years were tragic. He was arrested for a DWI. He lost his home and most of his belongings. After hearing about the very bad state that Henry Wilson was in, Rock Hudson will make a last goodwill gesture. Jim Parsons explains this to Vanity Fair. They hadn't spoken for years and had a very cantankerous relationship after they split up. Henry talked badly about him and vice versa. But even so, he always acknowledged somewhere in his heart and mind that Henry was a major part of why he became the success that he was. And when Henry was in failing health, apparently Rock sent him $20,000, a larger sum than it sounds like today, and told his friend, that's it. I don't owe Henry anything anymore. Creator of Netflix's Hollywood, Ryan Murphy, said, quote, Henry Wilson ended up dying of cirrhosis and absolute poverty. This man who invented all these names for people died and he didn't have enough money to have his own headstone. Hmm. So he was a nameless plot until somebody eventually paid for him to have a headstone made. The epitaph on that headstone reads, Star, Star Maker. Quote, unquote. I mean, it says a lot that he turned all of these actors into big budget box office kings. And in his own time of need, none were there for him, really. It's interesting, right? I mean, it says that really says everything. Rock Hudson's story really is a journey. We're going to take a quick break here mm -hmm. and come back with his home and marriage and divorce, too. We'll see you on the flip. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. 
Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. All right, in this next section, we got two things to talk about. Homes and honeys ish. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Sort of. So I want to bring up Rock Hudson's castle. During his life in Hollywood, Rock Hudson does live in one of the most iconic homes of anyone else in show business. He will call his home the castle. It's located at 9402 Beverly Crest Drive. It overlooks all of Beverly Hills. Rock Hudson buys his house in 1962. He will live there until his death in 1985. I did do a quick Zillow search. That home sold last year for $45 million. Wow. Now, Rock Hudson being a Hollywood heartthrob, but also gay, his personal privacy was naturally of utmost importance to him and his career. So you'll find the setting of his home, the castle, is somewhat like a fortress. It was protected by an enormous gate in front of the home and was built into the hill in a way that meant the home was surrounded by high cliffs from the other three sides. It's a perfect oasis of safety for Rock Hudson, for his lovers, for his friends, to be able to enjoy life without the fear of paparazzi, or just rando looky lose. Now, Rock Hudson loves his castle. Not just for the privacy it provided, though. He continuously and meticulously restored its interior and exterior. He loves entertaining his friends. He throws all kinds of parties at the castle. He was also a very generous boss of his staff there. Let me tell you about Joy. Joy is his beloved maid. Rock Hudson's such a softy. A friend of Rock said about Joy, the beloved maid. <laughs> Joy would have what are called eating days and drinking days. And she didn't mix the two. On the eating days, we would all eat really well. On the drinking days, Rock would come home from work, see the condition Joy was in and say to us, well, let's go to the polo lounge because he knew there wasn't going to be any dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the parties at the castle were kind of legendary. One particular party Rock Hudson throws for Carol Burnett in 1967. This one I bring up because it has a funny case of mistaken identity. Also at that party was Prince Rainier of Monaco. And Carol Burnett sees Prince Rainier of Monaco and mistakes the prince for country singer Tennessee Ernie Ford. Wow. And Carol Burnett greets Prince Rainier of Monaco saying, hey, you old pea picker, you. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. Hey, you old pea picker, you. What do you think Prince Rainier did? Uh, Good Lord. Sure, he was just delighted to be at a Hollywood party, I'm sure, with Princess Grace. Anyone who was invited to the castle would have already known that Rock Hudson was gay, but if they didn't, it wouldn't have been hard to figure out based on some context clues from how he chose to decorate the house and the grounds. Yeah, I would imagine. Context clues, super important. Rock's bed was carved with a large nude male figure. On his pool deck, he had large sculptures of naked boys. The castle was also the scene of many notorious quote-unquote boy parties. According to another of Rock Hudson's biographers, Mark Griffin, 
After long days of filming, Hudson would call his friend and assistant and say, let's have a boy party. Griffin writes, these soirees filled with young studs started out as pool parties and often ended in some fun on the castle's romantic pathway, nicknamed Assignation Lane, quote-unquote, or in the -the state-of-the-art theater known with a wink as the Playroom. (laughs) Apparently, Rock Hudson was well-known for his sexual appetite, which doesn't surprise me. Mm -mm. Scorpio man, come on. He had a network of friends who kept young boys coming to his house for, quote, his private enjoyment and naked pool parties. Unquote. I said naked, not naked, because you, you you're getting up to something in that one. <laughs> Armistead Maupin, author of the best-selling novel Tales of the City, said, mm-hmm. quote, I thought I was the last man in California to go to bed with Rock Hudson when I finally did. <laughs> Unquote. Okay, we are 30 minutes into the story. We've talked about Rock Hudson being gay, but it turns out, shocker, Rock Hudson did have a wife at one point. He did. How do you think that came about? Let's go back to Henry Wilson, Mm. who was always working behind the scenes to keep unflattering stories about his clients out of the press. By 1955, however... Rumors about Rock Hudson's sexuality are a little bit off the charts. They're spreading like wildfire across Hollywood. Well, you can't just have boy party after boy party and (laughs) word not leak out. (laughs) Allegedly, there's a man threatening to blackmail Rock Hudson with compromising photos of Rock. Threatening man contacts Henry Wilson. So problem number one. At the same time, problem number two, there's a scandal magazine called Confidential. Oh, yeah, there was. uh Uh-huh, that supposedly at that time is working on an expose about Rock Hudson's participation in a quote-unquote gay sex orgy. Now, that's, you know, trashy rags, whatever, but even Life magazine, problem number three, was contributing to this issue, and they write an article stating, quote, Fans are urging 29-year-old Hudson to get married or explain why not, Mm. unquote. Because it won't be legal until... (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah, okay. 60 more years. Anyway, Henry Wilson uses some of his unethical practices Mm -hmm. to avoid the stories for a while. One such method was selling out... Two of his other less valuable clients to get the heat off Rock Hudson. Yeah, trading items, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. He'll tell Confidential Magazine about Rory Calhoun's time in prison and even sacrifice Tab Hunter by revealing his arrest for disorderly conduct at a gay party. So in 1955, to quelch all of these bubbling pots of rumors, Rock Hudson will get married to a woman named Phyllis Gates who just happened to be Henry Wilson's secretary. Convenient. Did she go in knowing that she was marrying a gay man? Let's unpack this a little bit. This marriage was undoubtedly made to continue projecting the perfect all-American man image of Rock Hudson to Mm -hmm. audiences. But to answer just on a basic level, it is an arranged marriage. Sure. Mark Griffin, the author of All That Heaven Allows, a biography of Rock Hudson, writes, Henry Wilson knew there was only one way to silence all of the rumors about Hudson's homosexuality. It was time for Rock to get married and fast. Phyllis Gates claimed that she did not know that Rock Hudson was gay or that her marriage was for public relations, dot, 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 but most people also doubt her story. It sounds... Given who she worked for, it sounds hard to believe that she didn't know it was a publicity stunt. But, well, it's an open secret in Hollywood that Rock Hudson's gay. Mark Griffin said that Phyllis Gates' story about being duped is, quote, really hard to swallow, given the fact that virtually every bit player, makeup man, assistant gopher at Universal, knew the score about Rock Hudson. How did she possibly miss the memo? Not Not to mention her boss she had to have a few suspicions 
So it's unlikely that yeah. Phyllis Gates was one of the few in Hollywood who didn't know. In fact, here's another little layer. Many people believe that it was an ideal scenario for both the bride and the groom because Phyllis Gates was believed to have been a lesbian or at least bisexual. So that could work out. Robert Hoffler, the author of The Man Who Invented Rock Hudson, The Pretty Boys and Dirty Deals of Henry Wilson, wrote, Every person I met who knew Gates called her a lesbian. Not straight, not bisexual, but lesbian. Phyllis Gates eventually writes a book and will give several interviews in which she professes her love for Rock Hudson and going forward to claim her innocence in the entire scheme. She will tell one of Hudson's biographers in 2006, quote, I was very much in love. I thought he would be a wonderful husband. He was charming. His career was red hot. He was gorgeous. How many women would have said no? Sorry, what year was that interview from? 2006. <sighs> However, mm. in 2013, The Hollywood Reporter revealed that Rock Hudson was secretly taped by a private investigator named Fred Otosh. He connects in the Marilyn Monroe story over okay. on Done and Done, Fred Otosh does. Fred Otosh was hired by Phyllis Gates. Allegedly, in this transcript of the taped conversation, Phyllis Gates confronts Rock Hudson about the Rorschach test he had just taken. So this is a tape from a long time ago. On this tape, allegedly, quote, You told me you saw thousands of butterflies and also snakes. A therapist told me in my analysis that butterflies mean femininity and snakes represent the male penis. I'm not condemning you, but it seems that as long as you recognize your problem, you'd want to do something about it. <laughs> Later, she'll ask, You're great speed with me sexually. Are you that fast with boys? Rock is heard replying, Well, it's a physical conjunction. Boys don't fit. So this is why it lasts longer. Then, Phyllis Gates really goes in for the incriminating evidence and says, Everyone knows that you're picking up boys off the street shortly after we were married and have continued to do so, thinking that being married would cover up for you. To that, Rock Hudson replies, I've never picked up any boys on a street. I've never picked up any boys in a bar. Never. I've never picked up any boys other than to give them a ride. Happy marriage, happy good times, 1955. Is it any surprise to you that in 1958, Phyllis Gates filed for divorce? Not really. Claiming mental cruelty. Hmm. There we go. It wasn't until after Rock Hudson's death that Phyllis gets much more vocal and much more public. In her book, <laughs> titled My Husband, Rock Hudson... Hmm. Phyllis Gates made herself seem far too naive and innocent to realize that she was married to a gay man. She claims the marriage fell apart once she, quote-unquote, learned the truth. Rock Hudson's friends strongly dispute all of this version. Members of his inner circle, who knew the best, say that Phyllis Gates was completely aware of the situation and it didn't bother her because she was also gay. Phyllis will also go on to disparage Rock Hudson after his death, claiming that he had been abusive to her. Phyllis Gates tells the National Enquirer, I had to divorce Rock. He hit me, used me, ignored me. He was moody. He was a spoiled child. This was the man I married. The Rock Hudson you see on the screen is very romantic, but the Rock I lived with was not. Phyllis Gates goes on to say that he had hit her twice and choked her once. Quote, Rock, having had too many glasses of wine, hit me in a siege of temper. Days would go by without a word, and I usually didn't know what he was angry about. When I would ask what was wrong, he simply didn't answer. Rock was terribly moody. This just seems so poorly planned. Surely there was a woman in Hollywood, either an actress or someone in the studio system who was a lesbian who could have like they could have who would have been a better beard than Phyllis Gates sure yeah. who they could have come to terms like you will live here and you know your partner can move in and be 
quote unquote household staff, right? Like there was a way to do this. Yeah, but Phyllis is Henry Wilson's secretary. He didn't have to go very far. (laughs) (laughs) Phyllis, just this is all dirty, dirty stuff. She'll claim that their sex life was quote unquote brief and hurried and that Rock Hudson once told her that quote unquote all women are dirty. (laughs) Rock. Let me tell you about men. Uh, Okay. All right. Interestingly, Larry King, former Trashy Divorces alum, who was in broadcasting for 63 years, long time, Mm -hmm. identified Phyllis Gates as the worst interview of his entire career. Oh, that's interesting. Larry King said that after heavily promoting the interview, Phyllis Gates was a big disappointment. He recalled her having one-word answers and refusing to expand on topics he knew viewers were interested in, especially about her actually knowing that Rock Hudson was gay despite claiming that she didn't. Larry King tells Heather B. Gardner, the host of Sirius XM's Sway in the Morning in December 2012, I look up at the clock, I'm four minutes in. I got another 56 minutes to deal with this woman who has nothing to say. I almost said, do you know him? (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. Do you even know him? But also, it sounds like kind of she didn't. So, There's Rock Hudson's trashy divorce. Yes, his quote unquote marriage, which obviously ended in divorce. We're going to take a break here. And mm-hmm. when we come back, we're going to talk about who Rock Hudson really, really loved. A man with many lovers, but one true love. Can't wait. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So clearly, mm-hmm. the marriage with Phyllis and Rock, not a success. Well, not maybe he's just not the marrying kind. Uh-huh. Or he couldn't get married. So mm-hmm. we've talked about Rock Hudson, the castle, gay parties, pool parties, phone parties. Ah, oh, we're all having a good time. Rock Hudson has a lot of lovers, but only a few loves. One of Rock's most significant loves was a man named Lee Garlington. Rock and Lee were together from 1962 to 1965. They meet when Lee was a film extra in 1962. Lee Garlington told People Magazine in 2018 about Rock. He was a sweetheart. I adored him. In describing how they met and how their relationship started, Lee Garlington said, He was the biggest movie star in the world, and the rumors were that he was gay. I thought, let me get an eye on him. I stood outside his cottage on the Universal lot, pretending to read Variety, which was probably upside down at the time. He walked out and down the street. He looked back once. That was it. It was about a year later that Garlington got a call from one of Hudson's friends, asking if he would like to meet him. Lee Garlington says, I was scared to death. Of course, he was six foot four, a monster. (laughs) He offered me a beer, but nothing happened. Literally, I was too scared. He said, well, let's get together, and we did. 
Soon the two men were in a relationship, but of course, couldn't be open about it. Mm -hmm. Lee says, I'd come over after work, spend the night, and leave the next morning. I'd sneak out at 6 a.m. in my Chevy Nova and coast down the street without turning on the engine so the neighbors wouldn't hear. Wow. We thought we were being so clever. That's so sad. Eventually, they would go out in public together and even went to movie premieres together, but not alone. They each had to bring lady dates. So sad. Yeah. Garlington says nobody in their right mind came out. It was career suicide. We all pretended to be straight. Once we met Paul Newman and his wife, Joanne Woodward, at a premiere, he looked at me and smiled. I just read in his face that maybe he knew Rock and I were together. We kind of laughed about it. Rock Hudson and Lee Garlington only ever had one picture taken of themselves together. Wow. It was taken at a bar in New Orleans, and Lee Garlington says his agent told him he was never to have one of his boyfriends in a photo because if anyone saw it, they would suspect he was gay. Oh, Lee Garlington was also featured in the documentary Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed. Again, Rock Hudson loved Lee. The two, the pair, would like to take a little vacay. So who do they go to? Rock's BFF, Elizabeth Taylor, Mm. who offers some recommendations on where Rock and Lee could vacation without drawing any attention to themselves. private islands or something. Elizabeth Taylor, lady about the world, she recommends Puerto Vallarta, which at the time was still a really quiet town. Lee Garlington said of that trip as they did go, he and Rock. We walked on the beach and took pictures of each other with his camera and drove around in an open Jeep. We lived just the life of two normal gay men that loved one another. There were no paparazzi and no one knew we were there. We were just comfortable being us. Lee goes on to add that Rock Hudson, quote, did not have the opportunity to live his life the way he wanted to. And he had to go around hiding. I wish he had been born 30 or 40 years later. He'd be more relaxed and at ease, and it would have been a happier life. He'd also be elated by how much has changed, unquote. I'm sad to say that Rock Hudson and Lee Garlington broke up three years into that relationship. They split in 1965. Lee says that one of the causes for that split was the age difference. Rock Hudson was 12 years older than Lee Garlington, but that wasn't enough for Lee to have had the father figure he was looking for in a partner. Hmm. Lee Garlington says, one of the reasons we went our own way was because in a way I wanted a father figure and he wasn't strong enough. Rock wasn't a real strong personality. He was a gentle giant. Hmm. They part on good terms. There's no hard feelings. Everything's pretty amicable. And eventually, Rock and Lee will lose contact with each other. When Lee hears about Rock's AIDS diagnosis, he was devastated and tried to visit him, saying, quote, I was shocked. AIDS killed everybody in those days. I called up the people taking care of him, but they said he was so sick that he wouldn't know who I was, mm. and it was best to remember him how he'd been before, mm. unquote. After Rock Hudson's death, Lee Garlington read a biography of him where the author said that Rock had told him that Lee Garlington was his one, quote unquote, true love. When interviewed for that biography, he told the author that Garlington and his mother were the only people that Rock Hudson ever loved. Lee says about this, I broke down and cried. I just lost it. I had no idea I meant that much to him. Oh, Rock Hudson, quite a legend. Let's go ahead and bring this story into his final years. It is in May 1984 that Rock Hudson attends a state dinner at the White House and sits next to his longtime friend, Nancy Nancy Reagan. Reagan, yep. Nancy comments on his thin frame. And Rock assures Nancy that he had just gotten over a flu bug and was starting to feel better. Nancy also noticed a mole on his neck and told him to get it checked out. Rock Hudson takes her advice and goes to get that mole checked. Not even a month later, after that White House dinner, 
Rock Hudson was diagnosed with AIDS on June 5, 1984. Ultimately, Rock's AIDS diagnosis effectively outed him as a gay man, the very one thing he had worked his entire life to avoid. When Rock was first diagnosed, he went to Paris to seek treatment because HPA-23, an early retroviral, was available there and not within the United States. During that time, AIDS treatment and care was not well developed within the U.S., it was way behind. <laughs> yeah, it, and it wouldn't be for several years. Yeah, exactly. Stayed behind other many other countries because the Reagan administration had reduced funding for AIDS-related research and care. But at this point, Rock Hudson's diagnosis is still secret to the public. But his frail appearance is making it clearer that he's very sick. But most stories will say at this point that Rock was suffering from liver cancer. During this time in Paris, Rock Hudson collapsed and needed to be transferred to the military hospital, but was unable to even get permission to be seen at the American hospital. Because Hudson was an American, the doctor was only able to treat him on an outpatient basis, but Hudson needed to be hospitalized. When his assistant, Mark Miller, Heard about the trouble with Rock getting the necessary treatment in Paris, he flies there immediately. Mark Miller and a few publicists try everything to get Rock Hudson into the military hospital so he could receive the retroviral medicine. It was during this time that the world learned the truth about Rock Hudson. Not only did they learn that he was gay, they also learned he was dying of AIDS. Author Randy Schiltz, who wrote and the band played on, Politics, People, and the AIDS Epidemic writes, quote, AIDS was on the front page of virtually every Sunday morning paper in the United States. The revelations changed the course of AIDS coverage and the broader attention paid to the disease. Hudson's death a few months later on October 2, 1985, made him the first high-profile celebrity death from AIDS that was openly acknowledged as such. When his book was published in 1987, he wrote, It was commonly accepted that there were two phases of AIDS in the United States. There was AIDS before Rock Hudson and AIDS after. One of the saddest parts of this story is what happened during those days while Rock Hudson lay dying in Paris. His publicist, Dale Olson, had sent a desperate telegram to the Reagan White House pleading for help with the transfer. Keep in mind that Rock Hudson was a close personal friend of Ronald and Nancy Reagan. They've known each other for decades. Yep. The telegram explains the situation of the commanding officer denying Hudson's transfer and asking for help. This reads in part, Only one hospital in the world can offer necessary medical treatment to save the life of Rock Hudson or at least alleviate his illness. A request from the White House would change his mind, meaning the officer denying treatment. Sure. Rock Hudson's team got the following response from a young White House staffer named Mark Weinberg. I spoke with Mrs. Reagan about the attached telegram. She did not feel that this was something the White House should get into and agreed to my suggestion that we refer the writer to the U.S. Embassy in Paris. That is so cold. Like, even if you choose... Like, you know, this is the presidency and we should not be involved. No personal warmth, no personal concern expressed. Like, mm. Stone Cold, Nancy Reagan. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. A private jet was chartered to get Rock back to Los Angeles so he could at least pass away at his beloved home, the castle. Many people at the time were afraid to touch him because so much about the disease was still shrouded in mystery. But his longtime and dearest friend, Elizabeth Taylor, she refused to keep her distance. Kate Anderson Brower, author of Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon, writes, Oh, for goodness sake, Elizabeth yelled, and she jumped into bed with him and held him close, rocking his frail body gently. Elizabeth watched helplessly as he got worse and worse, until he was reduced to skin and bones, and there was no medicine that could help him get any better. 
As we all know now, Elizabeth Taylor became an outspoken and passionate advocate for AIDS research and care. She co-founds the American Foundation for AIDS Research in 1985, as well as the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. Elizabeth Taylor will also testify before Congress and donate millions and millions of her own dollars to AIDS. Elizabeth Taylor once said, quote, I became so incensed and personally frustrated at the rejection I was receiving by just trying to get people's attention. I was made so aware of the silence, this huge, loud silence regarding AIDS. Certainly no one wanted to give money or support, and it so angered me that I finally thought to myself, bitch, do something yourself. Instead of sitting there getting angry, do something. I love that Elizabeth Taylor refers to herself as bitch. Yep. Bitch, do something yourself. Yep. <laughs> it is sadly October the 2nd, 1985, that Rock Hudson passes away at the age of 59. His dearest friend, Elizabeth Taylor, will plan his funeral. Elizabeth Taylor refuses to allow it to become a media spectacle at Forest Lawn in the Hollywood Hills. Instead, she planned exactly what she knew her friend Rock would want. It was a party with mariachis and margaritas at the castle. Just like the parties they'd enjoyed together when Elizabeth and Rock had first met on the set of Giant all those years ago. It's a little bit of a Trashy Divorces lineup here. This was an invitation-only memorial service. Some of the guests included Ricardo Montalban, <laughs> Robert Mitchum, Angie Dickinson, <laughs> Glenn Ford, Roddy McDowell, Gregory Peck, Jessica Walters, and Carol Burnett. Doris Day was invited, but said it would be too difficult for her to attend because she was so emotional over Rock Hudson's death. As Rock had wished, he was cremated and his ashes were spread from a boat into the Pacific Ocean. As his ashes went into the sea, a huge rainbow appeared. His friend Stockton Briggle told Mark Griffin, We all just stood there and tried to comprehend that such a thing could have happened. So Rock's ashes went out to sea surrounded by a huge rainbow. That was finally how he was put at peace. The good part of this story is that Rock Hudson's death does give AIDS a face. America and politicians were forced to acknowledge all of the people dying from the disease and the awareness about AIDS started to rise significantly. In December 1985, just two months after his death, People Magazine reported, since Hudson made his announcement, more than $1.8 million in private contributions, more than double the amount collected in 1984, has been raised to support AIDS research and to care for AIDS victims. 5,523 reported in 1995 alone. A few days after Hudson died, Congress set aside $221 million to develop a cure for AIDS. Randy Schultz writes of the impact of Rock Hudson's death, There was something about Hudson's diagnosis that seemed to strike an archetypal chord in the American consciousness. For decades, Hudson had been among the handful of screen actors who personified wholesome American masculinity. Now in one stroke, he was revealed as both gay and suffering from an affliction of pariahs. And that, my darling, is the tale of Rock Hudson, his trashy beard of a marriage, his love, his home, his impact into mm -hmm. AIDS research, Holy cats, a lot of stories there. I think trash cans really go to Henry Wilson in this mm, one. Yes. It seems like he should garner the most amount of trash cans. Set aside a couple for Nancy Reagan, though. I mean, you have an American cultural icon. I could make the case that the presidency is okay to put him on a plane or something. Well, right. a friend of yours for 40 years? Mm -hmm. Cold. Stone cold. Stone cold. I may go ahead and throw a halo up for Miss Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Who did more to promote AIDS funding and research and awareness after the death of her friend Rock Hudson than most. Elizabeth Taylor, she in mm -hmm. the violet eyes. 
and the big, big diamonds. <laughs> so many big diamonds. If you like Elizabeth Taylor, be sure to go back to last week's Trashy Royals. She has an appearance in the Monaco Grimaldi Princess Grace story. Yep. Elizabeth Taylor's been all over done and done, too. Holy cats. That lady shows up everywhere. Yep. Friends, thanks again. We are so delighted. Yeah, spent your time with us today. We will be back this weekend with some brand new trash candy for you. In the meantime, you can find more of us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. You can get early ad-free episodes, bonus goodies, Zoom salons, the whole nine yards. Can't wait to see you this weekend. We are making it into December of 2023 and winding down season 20. Where does the time go? Such a good question. Friends, <laughs> as the time does wind down, please keep your hands clean. Keep those hearts trashy. Big love to everybody. See you this weekend. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.